How can you control cattle's whereabouts without fences? With a smart collar and a smartphone. It's a GPS collar system fitted on the neck of the cattle. As the cows get closer to the boundary, it sounds an alarm. And if they get too close, they get an armless pull. And how can drone technology help on the farm? The whole idea is that it will help speed up your crop walking by covering more areas of the field. Sprinkle seed, put on prill fertiliser or literally do a spray job. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. A definite tech theme on the programme today, but we still have agronomy advice, a review of the grain markets and the week ahead's farming weather. Good morning, I'm Steve Orchard. In the news this week, DEFRA has ended the six-month authorisation that allowed imports of seed potatoes from Europe. This expired on the 21st of June and has not been extended, ending the situation where imports were allowed, but not exports. Around 50,000 chickens have been killed following a huge blaze in two poultry sheds at Driffield East Yorkshire, caused, according to the fire service, by accidental ignition. And the NFU is encouraging farmers to tell the government about emerging labour availability issues in the supply chain. There's increasing pressure points in haulage, process and packing, as you're probably aware. And DEFRA has opened a call for evidence, particularly on haulage shortages. If you're affected by other labour shortages this summer, email your MP with the details and the impact it's caused. OK, let's talk tech. Saltfleet v Theddlethorpe Nature Reserve has a herd of cows grazing on their reserve and their movements are controlled using a smartphone app and no-fence technology. Senior Reserve Manager Dauphine Suti, how does it work? Yes, it's a fantastic new technology. It's been created by some Norwegian farmers and it's a, it's a GPS collar system fitted on the neck of the cattle. We've been so lucky to be able to trial this new technology as part of a, a national project called Dynamic Dunescape, which is aiming to restore about 7,000 hectares of um, coastal sand dune in, uh, in England and Wales. And um, the technology comes with an app which you have on your phone and you can draw virtual boundaries and it allows the cows to move within that virtual boundaries um, to graze the field. What happens then if they decide to wander off in the wrong place? The collar is fitted with a, an audible cue and uh, it's a rising audible cue. So as the cows get closer to the boundary, it sounds an alarm. And if they get too close to the boundary, they get, uh, they get an uh, harmless pull. Uh, the pulse is a, is a fraction of, a, of an electric sensing. We've monitored the response um, after receiving this pulse and the, the animal moves away and immediately returns to, uh, to grazing. So they are learning from this then, yeah? Or very quickly. They're smart animals. Um, just very quickly then, what's the overall object of the Dynamic Dunescapes project? The overall project of Dynamic Dunescape is to aim to restore 7,000 hectares of coastal sand dune in England and Wales. Most of our um, coastals, um, especially in England, have been fixed with the lack of management. So you get a lot of scrub growing on them, which has an impact on, on the mobility of the dunes. The dune she should have some, some, some loose sand, should have some grassland, and, and should have some, a little bit of scrub too. It's, it's good for the, for the habitat and diversity. And how do the cows help with this then? The cows have an amazing town that, that curls around tussocky grass. 
and by pulling the grasses they create areas of bare grounds and short grasses which is brilliant for wildlife. They have an ability to move into very dense area of vegetation which um, other animals may not be so keen to move into. Tell us a little bit about how you look after the cows. What's the welfare side of things? So our cows are, are checked daily, visually checked daily. This app allows us to know exactly where our cows are and how much time they spend in one location or another. And that is, has got huge benefits for conservation, obviously, because we, we know exactly how much time they spend in areas and we can then survey this area to understand what is there and why, why they have spent so much time there. But we can also monitor their welfare. If there is any triggers that are coming up, we know then that there is a, there is a concern and we can visit our cow then. All right, Delphine, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Thank you very much, Steve. If you were at the recent Agri shows, you'll have seen plenty of new tech, drones, sprayers, robots and more. The University of Lincoln's been doing some great work in this area. They were at Cereals displaying an interesting looking piece of kit, an aluminium frame about three metres long, two metres high and the width of an average sized tractor and covered in all sorts of sensors. I spoke to developers Ravi Valuru and Rob Lloyd to find out what it is and what it does. Rob first. It's a robotic phenotyping platform, so the idea is is that we can go along to crops and test crops and actually do multi-spectral LIDAR scans um, of the whole crop and then move on to the next one so we can check different soil types, things like that. And Ravi, what do you do with the data? Yeah, so we will use this data to understand how the crop is growing over a period of time. For example, this gives a 3D data set so that you can take the data and you see the crop, how the how it is growing you know, structurally, how prolific it is growing compared to, we can compare easily a number of varieties which are growing together in the field. On the other hand, it gives also data in a more Excel format, format in a number format, which you can understand how the crop is growing healthy, unhealthy over a period of time. And is this available commercially yet, or is it still very much on sort of trial basis? No, this is the first, the first of its kind, really. Um, we finished it a month or two ago, and uh, we're do, just doing field trials at the moment with the Fenispec sensor that's on there now, and we're soon to add more sensors. I, I can see something like it becoming commercial, but not this one. Whilst we're with the University of Lincoln, senior lecturer in the Department of Agriculture, Simon Goodyear, I gather you've recently launched a new apprenticeship. The apprenticeship is a new development and it is something we launched this last year as a means of opening up opportunities for more people to come and do our basis and facts courses. And fundamentally, if people sign up to the apprenticeship, they are put through a proper program at HE level at which they can take full basis course, they can take fax course and they can take the beta course uh, and they can do this at a reduced cost because it is funded through the levy, a levy paid by employers. Farmers are able to access that levy via a different route so essentially uh, it provides the courses at a, at a lower cost. So it's equipping people with uh, knowledge and skills at a high level. So and attractive. what is this leading to in terms of work? What kind of jobs would they be expected to go on to? It's fundamentally set up to provide training for agronomists 
in the safe use of pesticides. But it's now much more than that because as arable farming has developed, uh, young people coming in through have to learn about other skills. We have to learn more about the, uh, the environment and managing the environment. So there's sweeter programmes really that are offered that are equipping these young people with all the skills to managing crops, managing the environment, managing soils, uh, looking after uh, the quality of our water etc really so really good set of skills for these people to acquire and greg hopkinson from basis what's the part played by basis but in terms of the apprenticeship basis is actually the endpoint assessment organization so as well as doing the basis and facts qualifications they also have to learn other skills so these might be things like time management presentations um, networking skills also kind of farm management and health and safety so the end of the apprenticeship um, basis can offer a endpoint assessment um, and that is the final thing that um, the apprentice has to do to be kind of signed off and achieve that qualification interested there's details on the university of lincoln's website thanks to simon greg ravi and bob to agronomy now morning sean sparling technology a eh? what will they think of next yeah it's very good morning to you steve i know it's all getting a bit tomorrow's world isn't it it's all about science and the appliance of science and technology and i do sometimes wonder if we're trying to be a bit too clever and sometimes miss the point that agriculture is not a precise science that we can't make it into one and you know we may have gone as far as we can in some respects and i know certain advancements were as incredibly clever and completely inconceivable only 10 years ago might prove to be far more costly than the benefits can deliver we shall see certainly very impressive stuff out there and i'm sure the lessons that are being learned at rise home by what is a very very impressive group of young people will only go on to shape our industry and our future of the technology within our industry but when i hear about the sophistication of some of that technology i can't help but smile and think back to something my dad said which used to put things in perspective he promised me it was a true story about two navvies laying paving slabs in the late 1950s in london a busy street corner they're holding up the traffic on a daily basis cars blowing their horn drivers hurling abuse at these poor two fellas and one day a big rolls royce pulls up at the curb alongside them and the window rolls down and this angry very well-dressed man leans out and shouts at him i say how much longer are you two going to be laying those things it's been every day for a fortnight i've been late for work every day thanks to you two fellas and one of the navvies looks up and smiles and he says not long now sir we've got to do it right first time it's the measuring that takes the time and the bloke in the car shouts back <laughs> Don't talk to me about measuring. I'm a nuclear physicist. I work to within one ten thousandth of an inch every day. That is accuracy. The navvy smiles again, stands up, draws on his woodbine, puffs out a great big cloud of smoke, leans into the chap and says, It's no good to me, sir. These flags have got to be spot on. Now, that navvy is alive and well and lives inside my head, so spare a thought for me. So, look, all joking apart, we sit today in an extraordinary level of technology in all aspects of our daily life, and agriculture is absolutely no exception, from state-of-the-art machinery, highly technical chemistry that we're using today, and our level of knowledge grows by the day as well off the back of all that. But it takes a farmer's view to get things into perspective with two words, how much. So, 
agronomy then. We should talk about oilseed rape first. It's slowly heading towards harvest because glyphosate timings therefore loom. Remember glyphosate is not a desiccant, it is a harvest aid, it will help to even the crop up. And also remember you can make it as complicated as you like. Technically take a representative sample of the field in question and pull several racemes. The seeds in the top pods will be mostly green with the odd fleck of brown. The seeds in the middle pods will be far more brown than green with the odd black one. There will still be some flecks of green in there and the seeds in the bottom pods will either be all brown or black but certainly no green. So if you want to keep it simple it's the seeds in the middle pods more brown than green. The pod colour pretty irrelevant. Easy to find brown pods full of green seeds and green pods full of black seeds. No robot can see inside a pod as yet so get out pull them open and be aware that if we get some hot sunshine after this rain they're going to turn very very quickly and if you find that you knock out the seeds in the top pods behind the tram lines when you go spraying then you were a week too late. Pod stickers that's between you and your priest or agronomist as they're sometimes known so have that discussion with them and remember that many varieties have inbred pod shatter resistance so pod stickers are pretty unnecessary in those varieties and also for goodness sake make sure you clean the sprayer out with a non-ionic surfactant as soon as possible after you've sprayed because it'll get all a bit gooey and gummy in there if you don't too early to call what yields are going to do in all seed rate you know i'm still a little bit nervous about how much harm those 25 serious frosts throughout april will have done but we shall see in a few weeks time hopefully all seed rape is is indeed the good compensatory crop we've all been promised it is spring oilseed rape while we're talking about rape is still in full flower so protectant fungicides still going on to minimize the effects of botrytis and gray molds and therefore sclerotinia a lack of lincolnshire show and therefore a lack of ladies in yellow means the only yellow thing out there at the moment is spring oilseed rape so pollen beetle are having a party out there but insecticides are of little use against pollen beetles, we've found. So we just have to hope that the predators and the compensatory nature of spring oilseed rape is just as alive and well. First signs of fusarium showing up in some of the wheats on the ears. A wet early flowering combined with poor resistance fusarium on most varieties. Species like Graminarium, Nivali, Poe, Comorum. You can find all of those and the rest of the fusariums out there. And with at best only 50% control from fungicides, that means it was almost inevitable given the recent weather we've had but only time will tell whether the mycotoxins are similarly high to the last wet year in 2012 bit of flat barley out there the odd bit of flat wheat after some of those locally heavy storms in the last seven days very sudden high rainfall events high winds hitting crops which are at the heaviest and very localized and unwanted downpours they were but spring barley has plenty of time to pick itself up off the floor yet it is what it is though so no point worrying about it you know if yours is still stood up Pat yourself on the back for the good job on growth regulation you've managed. If yours went down, pat yourself on the back at what is clearly a mammoth potential yielder in comparison to your neighbours that are still standing up. That's about all you can do, really. Glass has to be half full at this time of year. Potatoes, blight-a-go-go, sugar beet, Socospora reports coming in. No virus to see as yet out there in the field. Is it worth that second insecticide, the insist, with sugar beet at 20 leaves plus in the main? You know, you've got to ask that question. Talk it through with your advisor. I have yet to see threshold for a second time, but keep looking. Peas podding well, going out of flower very, very quickly. Very few issues in peas. Spring beans, bit of downy mildew now starting to show up. But 
With 75 to 80% of the pods at full size and harvest probably only five or six weeks away, the aggressive phase of chocolate spots still to come, potentially imminent towards the middle of July onwards, there's plenty of green leaf still out there in these bean fields. Um, and your last protectant fungicide should carry you through, I think. Much lower levels of brooked beetle out there than we saw last year. But again, we shall see in a few weeks' time. So that's about it. Then harvest cometh, technology cometh, knowledge groweth, but I goeth. Let's see what the next seven days bringeth. Thank you, Sean. How can drones help us on farm? What can they do? Are they expensive? Do you need a licence? And are they easy to fly? I've only ever flown a toy one and I've crashed that so many times it's not really fit for much now. Drones and quadcopters are being seen a few metres above our crops more and more now. And to find out some of the answers to these questions, I met with Jack Rangham from DroneAg, the company behind Skippy Scout. And Jack, to start with, this looks very much like the, dare I say, bog standard drone that I kept crashing. Yeah, it's a completely standard off-the-shelf drone that you could buy from you know many online retail stores for, for less than £500. And I guess the next question, what does it do our software takes control of the drone and it flies it to various points in an area i.e a field with a crop um, and at those points it drops the drone down to a couple of meters above the field takes a photo and moves on to the next point it flies that autonomously covering multiple points in the field those images are then uploaded to our server where they're analyzed and we provide essentially a field report that pulls out things like crop cover weed percentage cover disease cover and, and metrics like that and and formats them in a way that's really easy to understand and readable so you're saying it flies automatically presumably it's got to know where to go so have i got to walk the field first no no the whole idea is that it will help speed up your crop walking by covering more areas of the field typically we're marking areas of interest based on either prior field knowledge we know where the bad patches are or on things like satellite data that highlights where there's differences in the field but it can't tell us what those differences are that's where we need to get closer to the crop and then what does the report actually tell us so the report will highlight areas in the field that the drones measured it will give measurements um for instance, with wheat and barley early on, it will give plant counts per square metre at all those points in the field. Later stage, it'll pick out when there's disease starting to come in at various points in the field, and it will give you a percentage measurement as well, so it can tell you what the severity is like, um, highlight areas that really need attention versus areas that are probably okay and just need to be monitored. It can then visit those points again and again and again, week on week, so you can start to build up a picture of how the crop's improving or not at various points. The resolution is very, very high, so we can see individual insect bites in a leaf and count those. So for things like uh, cabbage and flea beetle on OSR, we can give a measurement of severity, and again, you can look at how your treatments are either improving that or not. I suppose the $64,000 question is, this is an expensive piece of kit? Not at all. That Again, that's the other point of using, you know, small off-the-shelf drones is that it's, in terms of the hardware, you know, it's easily less than £1,000. And then our software is designed to be nice and flexible and cheap as well, starting at £30 a month. Okay, and is this kind of thing you need a licence for to fly one of these? So the way the licensing works currently is that if you are flying a drone on your own farm, on your own land, you don't need a commercial license. But anyone that's using it in a commercial manner um, as part of their paid job, uh, that's agronomists, farmers offering a service to other farmers and that kind of thing, they do need a license. Um, but the licensing has changed recently, so it's relatively easy to do. Um, it's typically an online course um, that will cost a few hundred pounds, and there's many providers that offer that. Jack, we've looked at precision per plant technology on the programme before using ground-based robots. Can your drone work with such a system? Eventually, what we want to look at is you know robots on the ground working with drone systems in the air to provide that whole picture in that kind of plant-by-plant -plant manner, and it's going to be extremely powerful. But I think we need to be really careful and make sure that 
you know we're not promising far too much and not delivering we want to say right okay this is what we can do now and this is how it's helpful and move on from there and if somebody is interested in all of this where can they go for information uh jump online to skippy.farm uh, or just search skippy scout or drone ag and it should come up all right jack thank you brilliant thank you very much that's jack rangham from skippy scout now to something larger i'm with jonathan gill from harper adams university i don't think you're going to get one of these on amazon what have we got here jonathan so we've got larger drones we've got quadricopters and birotor systems that are probably about 20 kilograms plus in weight um they've got foldable arms their capability to fit in the side of a back of a truck they've got the capability of lifting about 15 kilograms almost a bag of cement or a good number of bags of sugar if you want to put it that way and the capability for them to either sprinkle seed put on prill fertilizer or literally do a spray job but we're not actually allowed to spray with one of these in the uk are we yeah regulations in the uk doesn't allow us to use these particular machines to spray so any active ingredient from the drone system is not allowed to be applied onto our workable fields to go into food production we're trying to work on that at harper adams university to make sure that the testing that is required for the drift that comes from these particular nozzles from the spray will do a really good job in our worked environment is it all about the drift then is that the problem with with this it's not just all about drift unfortunately there's there's lots of other different rules and regulations from what chemical bottles say for how it's being literally applied unfortunately drones as they fly have been classified as an aerial system and that means that then on the chemical bottle it has to then say appliable for aerial systems and that then becomes another logistical challenge of trying to sort out exactly what can be done and what can't be done do i need a license to fly one of these Um, Very much so. These are licensed drone systems to be operated in certain classifications of airspace. So what's Harper Adams' involvement in developing these drones been? So Harper Adams has been working on drone systems that spray for the past six years, I believe, since when I first got my very first drone system, which had got good lifting capacity but an absolute rubbish spray system on the base of it and we were just trying to see if that system could work for the environment and then we went through iterations working with companies such as DGI now we're working with companies such as XAG and we've been just improving and increasing the capability to do really exciting things there's loads of projects that I can't talk about as well being worked at at the university but very much aerial applications from drone systems is something we're really passionate about and is this purely for academic work or is, is there is it commercially available yet commercially available we're kind of on that kind of push point boundary where we're literally scraping at the edge of what can be done with amazing technology and what is really useful for the environment i'm really passionate to make sure that we can reduce the amount of chemical that we're putting onto our soils and onto our crops make sure that we're really doing everything sustainable we're trying to make sure that the technology is doing that well with us so there are applications which are affordable today so you can buy the p20 you can buy the p30 or even the new r40 which is our bi-wing drone which is an amazing new system with even less drift than other systems before or your ground vehicle which is the r150 the 150 kilogram carrying ground robot very similar to a quad the capable of spraying areas such as orchards or soft fruit 
these are all available now but they're only just coming into market and the capability is of just showcasing that they can do a really good job and making sure that they're there to work and are you developing the the kit and the software as well so the project relating to the drones and the technology has all been sparked off by a project called the hands-free hectare that was when we grew the world's first crop autonomously with um, ground vehicles drones looking at the crop and then a fully autonomous harvester that project's got even bigger the hands-free farm where we're growing 35 hectares of crop and doing that over three different types of crop which we have to harvest very shortly should really be there working on the harvester now but it's really exciting the technology and how it works with smart precision systems. Can we all bring it together and work as we need to in sustainable agriculture? And what's next? I know you can't tell me about things that you're working on specifically, but are we heading in any particular direction with the next level of tech? What's next? The idea is to really take the bums off the seats in the agricultural vehicles they don't have to be so large we can make them smaller and we can make them do a more precise job that means the ideas of field shapes and sizes doesn't have to stay the same and we can be even smarter about applying chemicals or harvesting our crop in very different environments on the field which have got different soil types different wetnesses areas which have always had different yields we can segregate that because we've got the smart machines to do it and if somebody wants to find out more about this, where would they go to, to learn more? Your website? So Harper Adams, the, the website for that is a perfect university website that will give you all the ideas of interesting research or obviously go on to the handsfree.farm website, which is absolutely perfect for showcasing the technology of the farm of the future. Jonathan, thanks ever so much. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And there's more information on the work that Harper Adams are doing on harper-adams.ac.uk. To the market we go now with his weekly update, Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. The market has taken every opportunity to push prices lower. Content, it would seem, to put any potential positive influences to one side for now. It is fair to say that prices peak too early and that there is a danger that the same could happen on the downside, exaggerating price declines. The increased volatility is something our markets are trying to come to terms with, such is the nature of the computer-generated trading world that we now operate in. Trading the physical markets in this environment is increasingly challenging. It seems, like only yesterday, that the CBOT maize traded up the daily limit when the USDA report came out with less US maize acres than the trade had anticipated. Taking the weak markets along for the ride, prices were very buoyant. Flip back to the present day and we are now trading lower than before. And despite the Brazilian maize production forecast getting significantly worse following the recent frosts they have had. The main reason for the market price weakness has been improved rain prospects in the US Plains, Upper and Central Midwest and Canadian Prairies, all of which have experienced prolonged drought conditions. Whilst some areas have received varying amounts of moisture, much more is needed as the crop is moving into the critical pollination phase. China has been noticeable by their absence in the market recently, although there have been stories circulating emanating from a Chinese analyst of reduced import needs for 2021-2022 due to an increased area of 6% of their domestic maize plantings. As always, don't listen to what they say, watch what they do. 
Too much rain in France, Romania and parts of the Ukraine is likely to result in increased feed wheat availability, which at the current price differentials should displace maize in the feed ration. Global wheat demand is on the up, with buyers like Egypt, Algeria, Iran, Turkey and Saudi Arabia back in the market following the recent price declines, which is not surprising, particularly as the Canadian and the US spring wheat crops are in dire straits. So looking forward to barley this week. Old crop markets continue to see a steady inquiry of replacement loads as the final lots of 20 crop are delivered. New crop markets have seen a number of inquiries to check the market values with limited trade. Values remain tight in a nominal range, maintaining recent premiums over feed values. Delays to the French harvest following storms have tempered the progress with early results following a positive start, showing some lower quality samples. Mixed picture in the UK with varying ideas of start dates from days to weeks. Current production ideas look favourable with all eyes now on the weather. Oilseed rate. UK markets have had another roller coaster ride over the shortened week given the US trading. Headlines have dominated the weather of late and this week has been no different. Whilst the UK has seen wet weather continues to frustrate ripening here, dry weather in North America have been supportive. However, a weather forecast released over the Independence Day weekend covering the US suggested cooler, wetter weather patterns, which was enough to send the Asian, Canadian and European markets lower, with circa €30 lost on the Matif futures across Monday and Tuesday this week. The forecast has subsequently been revised, suggesting that temperatures and rainfall may not be as previously thought, and within the detailed forecast levels in the areas that really need them would have made very little difference anyway. With the whip soaring in the Matif futures market, UK values have seen some wide swings. However, the trade has been extremely limited, with growers reluctant to step forward at the current pricing levels. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for July, 200 to 203. With a significant drop into August, new crop off the combine, 157 to 160. November, 162 to 165. February, 165 to 168. May 168 to 171 and milling wheat premiums are currently 18 to 20 pounds. Feed barley for July 138 to 141 with the same value for August, moving ever so slightly higher to November 143 to 146 with the same values holding into the new year and we get to February at 143 to 146. May 21 148 to 151. Malting premiums are still 20 to 25 pounds for a 185 nitrogen. Oilseed rate for July 420 to 424. Same price for August, moving forward to November 428 to 431. February 431 to 434. And May 434 to 437. Thank you, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A mild week with light winds and some showers. A southerly breeze today with rain likely and highs of 21 Celsius. A couple of degrees cooler on Monday, which sees quite a lot of rain. Calm, though, with highs in the upper teens. The wind turns northerly on Tuesday but stays light. Some drizzle and highs back up to 21. Up to 24 degrees on Wednesday with a single figure westerly and maybe some light rain. Similar for the end of the week but turning cooler on Friday. Next week we'll turn our attention to farm safety with the approach of Farm Safety Week. In the meantime, I'm Steve Orchard. Have a good week on farm. Farm.